For the director of music with, with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. Answer me when I call to you, my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. How long will you people turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? Know that the Lord has set apart his faithful servant for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Tremble and do not sin. When you are on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. Offer the sacrifices of the righteous and trust in the Lord. Many, Lord, are asking, who will bring us prosperity? Let the light of your face shine on us. Fill my heart with joy when their grain and new wine abound. In peace I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. Was that helpful somehow? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't know. To me, it's... Uh, the one that looked... I, I thought it was a little uh, pipe out of his mouth, but it was a zipper, just in case you were wondering what that was there. Um, anyway, sleep like a baby. And uh, we use that phrase to mean that you really sleep. But if you've ever had a baby, they don't always sleep, right? I mean, it can be a real, a real challenge. And, um, but I want to I wanna think about what that means to sleep like a baby. So I, I have some, uh, a couple of pictures here. And I could have, you know, picked out any random babies, but since I was in control, these are my grandchildren. There you go. Uh, okay, he was born last August, and uh, can, isn't there something? You know, I, I heard the odds, particularly from the, the, the women, and, yeah, it's really pretty amazing. I mean, there's something there that's beyond just what you see. There's, a, there's something deep, and we, we appreciate what that is. And we kind of long for it, I think, ourselves. And uh, number two was born in October. And uh, he, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool how they just flail the arms out. And, uh, but what happens in life, and I'm going to just share a little bit from my own growing up experience here, but when I was in elementary school, I'm sure that there were times where I, you know, as a baby, I looked like those guys. But when I was in elementary school, I had some kind of an anxiety thing going, and it was pretty predictable that every Sunday night, during the school year only, I would not be able to sleep. And it had to do with anxiety that I had with school and grades, and I wasn't the best student, and my parents wanted me to do better. And I don't know, I just could not sleep, so I'd go to bed at 8 o'clock on a Sunday night, and I would still be awake at 1 in the morning. And, it, you know, just spinning, and um, it was not fun. So as we get older, do we get less or more to worry about when we get older? You know, I mean, you figure, yeah, it's part of the deal. And uh, uh, this psalm, Psalm 4, is a psalm that is written for an evening prayer. We have a need to pray before we go to sleep, to disengage and to let go and to relax into grace. Doesn't that sound good? Like an invitation? And God does invite us to do that. Uh, it's hard to do. It's really hard to do. And, and the Psalms give us language that we may not be able to come up with on our own. And so they train us in our, in our prayer, our prayer vocabulary, our prayer thoughts. And uh, David does that. Psalm 5, which comes right after Psalm 4, did you know that? is a psalm, it's, it's a morning psalm. So it's a psalm that you pray when you wake up in the morning. And so you're covered on both ends. But the Hebrew day begins in the, when the sun goes down. And so we begin 
with an evening prayer. Uh, here's, I want to point out to you, I want to create some tension here that we're going to resolve together. But Psalm, uh, the, the first verse is, Answer me when I call to you, my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Do you want me to read it in the emoji tone of voice? Here, it goes more like this. Answer me when I call you. You know, are you out there? Please help. I'm in distress. Have mercy on me. I mean, it's, it's that kind of voice. And we may come to that place, all of us, I would say we will as human beings, come to that place in our lives. The intensity of the demands upon God that he invites us to make upon himself as his children, we will find... So when I was going over this last night, just what I, I was reading the text one more time. Lord, help me to absorb the truth that's here that I might communicate it better. I got a phone call from Alaska about a friend of mine who now lives in Colorado and that day yesterday he and his wife were in a really bad accident and they don't know whether she's going to live. Okay? And I, my, I, there's my language for prayer not for myself but for my friend. This is how the Psalms work. They give us language for life. So what we need to figure out is how do we get from that first verse to the last verse, in peace I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. That, should you choose to accept it, is our mission together in the next 15 minutes. Are you up for it? What? Yeah, okay, all right. It seems like we'd want to know. Um, here's, the, here's the outline that we're going to use. David addresses God first in a lament. We just saw verse 1. He addresses the unfaithful. We'll talk about who they are with truth in verses 2 to 5, and then finally at the end, he readdresses God in joy, and we'll see how that sort of all happens. Um, answer me when I call you. Give me relief. May uh, you be merciful to me. Hear my prayer. Those, those kinds of, that language is there for us. Uh, David is in a tight spot. Tight spot. Now what's going on? He's the king, and in the Middle Eastern culture, just think about this. For any nation in that time in history, 3,000 years ago, and it's going to be particularly true for David in Israel, every nation had a god. And they may have, there, there were a variety of gods. So pagan culture has gods. There, there was a very religious world, not secular at all. And if you were the king of that nation, you would be even confused with that god in some nations. But closely aligned with that God, and you became the chief prayer to your God for the nation. Now, here's the problem with Israel now. They're going through a drought. We'll, we'll see how that works here in a minute. And They're in a time of drought, and people are looking at David, and they're saying, either your God or our God is not answering our prayer, or you are not praying very well. And that puts you into a tight spot, does it not? You see the tension here? So David is feeling this anxiety, that he's, he's come to his bed at night and he can hardly live with it. He's got a high thing, uh, tension in his life and trying to figure out how to resolve it with the Lord. Uh, he's, want, he's praying for two things, for rain to come. He, he wants that because the, he's the king and he's, that's his job is to pray for it. But he also is praying for his own uh, relationship with his people who are losing confidence in his ability to lead. And if you're a leader and people are losing confidence in you, that is not a good thing, let me tell you. Okay, so there's the lament. And uh, we're going to move on now to the, uh, when he addresses the unfaithful people. And in verse 2, he goes right to it. He says, uh, How long will you 
wealthy people. It should say, it, should, it just says people in the text, but it, it, the implication in the Hebrew word is that these are people who are aristocratic, they're influential, uh, leaders of, of the people. How long will you, wealthy, uh, powerful people, how long will you, and he then says, um, how long will you seek, uh, 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 where are we here, verse 2, how long will you turn my glory into shame? Okay. Now, here's, he's praying to God. This is the part that's kind of weird. He's praying to God, but then he starts talking to other people, these, these people out there. They're not there. He's imagining that. And my first response when I read it is, have you ever struggled with distractions in prayer? Our Father who art, who art in heaven. I wonder how the mariners are doing. Hallowed be thy name. You know, it's that, that's, we all struggle that, in that way. And it seems like he's praying to God in verse 1, and now he starts talking to these people over here, but as we see it unfold, he's really incorporating this into his prayer. But he asked, how long will you turn my glory, my glory into shame? And those are, those are two different spectrums. On the, there's a, one to ten, glory and shame. And, and my, his glory, in this case, his glory is his uh, privileged place to pray for the nation. It's his prayer life that is his glory. Now, just think about how, if you would say that about yourself. My glory is my prayer life. Well, there's a sense in which it is. It's a glorious thing to be able to pray for other people. You, enter, you, you lean into that glory as you pray. What they're saying, though, is that your prayers are fruitless. They're not worth anything. They're not effective. We're losing confidence in your ability to lead. That's what the, that's what the critics are saying. And they're also loving delusions, it says. How long will you love delusions? Meaning they are loving lies about David, and they're embracing false gods. And the word there is a, they're chasing after. They're, they're, there's a false god over there. I'm going to run as fast as I can to follow it. That's the implication here. Oh, so let's think about what chasing a false god is about. This is a picture of, uh, well, it's a, uh, of a, a bronze that it's Baal, and he would have been most likely, we don't get it from the text, but Israel had all kinds of problems following after, chasing after Baal, the storm god. He looks powerful, and in his right hand is a club, and that club signifies thunder. So just think of a, a big, noisy club that you beat. And then this, is, this broken uh, staff here it symbolizes lightning. So it's, it looks a little bit like lightning. So he's got thunder in one hand and lightning in the other. And when you have thunder and lightning, and the, what comes out of the sky? You have rain. So this is what they go to this God to get rain, to break the drought. That's what they're doing. And he's a false god. But false gods promise to be more quick in answering prayer than this is the, the, this is the pagan theology is that you can manipulate the false gods. And we see this in the scriptures, how uh, the, they're doing things, they're doing dances, they're doing uh, all kinds of things to manipulate these false gods into getting what they want. And it's the antithesis of how God's people are to be. Now here's the other thing that the scriptures teach us about false gods, is that when you worship a false god, you become false. Psalm 115 verse 8 is, those who make these false gods will become like them. So this is, when, and then the New Testament says that, so let me stop there for a sec. You become like wood and stone. They're all wood and stone. 
So as a human being, you lose your humanity in favor of becoming wood and stone like your gods. You lose that which makes you special and created in God's image. It's not good. And in the New Testament, you have other idols that are added to the list, so they're not just about wood and stone. You have things like greed. Paul calls greed idolatry. Hmm, I wonder if that could apply to anybody today. Or uh, whatever you worship, whatever captures you and captures your heart, fame, or you know, fame, money, power, the stuff, that, the sex, all that stuff becomes your God, and you become like your God. But the problem is all those things are ephemeral. They don't last. They have a way of becoming vaporous. And then you yourself become vaporous, which is another word for lost. So idolatry is alive and well on planet Earth, and we have to take care that we too don't become false people as we follow our false gods. So he warns them, and then he says, God has appointed me king, and I know that he hears me when I pray. Verse 3. He's certain, or at least he says he's certain, He may have doubts inside himself, but he's proclaiming what he knows to be true. And he he says, you need to hear that. And then he says in verse 4, and this is where it, it gets interesting, he imagines these people that he's talking to lying on their beds, and he said he's gonna he feels for them. He wants to get them to see it the right way, so he's gonna give them some truth. When you're on your beds, don't tremble in sin. Rather, uh you want to uh uh, search your hearts and become silent before God. Here's how I would say it. Make the real you, put the real you, find the real you, search your hearts and put that before the real God. Then you're going to be able to sleep. Then you're going to have what you really want in life. And then he... Uh, now here's, here's what's going on, I think, in David is that he realizes this is what happens. Have you ever told somebody else the truth, and as you're telling it, you realize that you too need to hear that truth? It happens to me about every Sunday. How's that? And and you you know, you do. If you're a parent, it it happens there, that you realize that the words that are coming out of your mouth, you know that truth is powerful and strong, and you also get this little thing, well, you're not quite living up to it yourself. And I think that's what's going on in David, because his heart is going to be transformed here as we move from verse 1 of lament and and terror and distress into verse 8, where he's got peace, he's telling them now, he's in the middle of that, and he's saying these words of, search your heart and become silent. The real you before the real God. And then in verse 5, he talks about making a sacrifice of the righteous, a sacrifice of the righteous. And when we, we find that word sacrifice, we might want to think about what that means in the Bible. It has to do with offering up. Offer up. So we're at the end of our day. What would you offer up as you're laying there on your bed? You don't have much. Sheets, pillow, whatever, pajamas. What are you going to offer up? Well, you have all the thoughts and the anxieties of your day. You have uh, one, of the, one of the babies uh, up here, uh, this was a year ago now, uh, the, our daughter-in-law was, it was life and death for her our son would be in that place of offering up all of the things that are on his heart and it's hard to offer up now here's the other thing about a sacrifice you'll leave it there at the altar you offer it up is that hard? It, it, it's, it's one thing to offer things up but then you're going to grab them right? You, especially big things life and death things 
And it's so, it really is hard to do. You leave it there, and you walk away, and David says, you trust in the Lord. Trusting in the Lord is when you walk away from those sacrifices. All the things that have made your day hard. You see how this, this is meant to be an evening prayer. Finally, he gets to uh, what we would call the good part in the, in the psalm, verses 6 through 8. And he begins with a, a kind of a question. Many Lord, so he's back to addressing God. He's, he's, had, he's, he's done the true thing with these other people who, in fact, maybe it was directed towards his own heart. And now he's, he's turned back to God and something has shifted in his heart. And he says, many are asking, Lord, where's the prosperity? Where, where, how can we find that prosperity? Can we find it with you, Lord, or can we find it with Baal? What are we going to do? Many are asking. They want to know. And then he says, he answers his own question by saying, let the light of your face shine upon us. This is a, a, a line that we have in the Aaronic Blessing that we would give to any child today who would be taking a grape instead of communion. We would, we would pray that as part of that blessing over them. May the light. So what, what he's praying is, may the light of your face shine upon us. What he's saying is, and when your face shines upon us, it's going to rain, isn't it? It's going to rain. That's what we're after here. It's a drought. And then he does another thing that is, it shows his heart has shifted. He says that his joy, he asks that his heart be filled with joy. And he says, I know it's going to be filled with joy when the grain and the new wine abound. Grain and new wine would be part of the drought breaking and the abundance that comes with the rain. He's leaning into that. He's anticipating what God is going to do. He's become confident again. Others are lacking confidence in him as king, but he has confidence in his king. And you see that here, that shift in his heart. And finally, in verse 8, he gives us those words of, um, in peace I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me to dwell in safety. So he is able to let go, to disengage, and to relax into grace. And here's the kicker. Nothing externally has changed. The drought is still there. So it's all, all of the change has been inside him as he's been laying on his bed. And that's really, really important for us to take note of as we consider our own laying on the bed with our anxieties. And he, he receives that ability to lay down like a baby, go to sleep. Pretty good. Okay, so what I want to do is take the words of this psalm and I'm going to ask you to stand right now. We're going to do a confession together. And uh, maybe this will be helpful in... Go ahead, stand up. And it might be helpful in terms of training ourselves in how to take a psalm and allow that psalm to inform how we pray. So, let's get to... So, we're going to use some of the language out of the psalm and some of the, uh, the things that are between the lines in the psalm. And I'm going to just read that. You don't have to, you guys, you guys are good. You don't have to say anything other than you, I'm asking you to enter into prayer silently. Search your heart and be silent. And then I will read off these things that we sort of see there in the psalm. And I'll close this in prayer. So, search your heart and be silent. Anxieties. False gods. Loving delusions.
not praying in faith. Lacking confidence in God. Not receiving joy and peace. Lord, this is our confession that we have struggled in these areas. And as we search our hearts and become silent, we allow you to remind us of what is true. And there is nothing more true than your promises to us, which are new every morning, fresh every morning, but as old as can be. We cling to those promises. And we pray for your mercy to surround us through the person of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.